we proceed, I invite you to join me in prayer. Good and gracious God, we thank you that in your love you sent to us your Son to be born among us, to live among us, to reconcile us in your creation to yourself. In your mercy, Lord, we ask that you continue to allow us to encounter him and his presence in each and every moment, in each and every day, in each and every season. Allow us to know the voice and leading of your Holy Spirit afresh, that we may live life with you wholly, completely, and faithfully. And so meet us, Lord, we ask, no matter where we are, no matter how we come to you. Meet us who are in seasons of sorrow and seasons of joy. Meet us who are gifted with health and who are burdened with injury and sickness. Meet us, whether times feel good or bad, and let us not lose sight of you in the midst of it all. Be glorified in and through us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. As majestic and mysterious as the Christmas story is, most of the details of the story we just heard in our scripture take place amidst the drudgery of life, not unlike Christmas itself, none of us can choose what is going on in our lives as Christmas approaches and when it comes. It comes to us amidst all kinds of seasons, all kinds of emotions, all kinds of details, and it was no different for the first one. We've talked before about how surprising the setting is for the birth of Jesus. It's not one we would expect for a royal birth, let alone a divine one. But even more, it happens amidst what we might call the grit and the grind of life. It, the birth of Jesus is not well-timed for Mary and Joseph. The events begin amidst a census decreed by an emperor that is ruling over their people. And this is not a census to inform community investment or assessment of infrastructure. It's a human inventory for the purpose of taxing them. It is those in power saying to people like Mary and Joseph, how much you got? And, there, and because of this census, they have to embark on a long journey while Mary is in her third trimester. And we can only imagine her frustration, her anxiety, knowing that she would be away from home and family for some time and knowing that the baby could come 
in the midst of it. We can only imagine Joseph's emotions as he might have wondered how he was going to care for her or the, the child when it arrived. And it's possible they may have stayed with relatives, Joseph having registered in the place that was appropriate for his line, but even if that's the case, the best they can offer their child is when it is born in these circumstances is some cloth to cover him and a manger for a bed, a feeding trough to lay his head, and a place to sleep that's somewhere in the vicinity of animals, whatever the setting is. And then we have the shepherds out in the fields who are living and working outside in a lonely setting, away from everybody else, who may not even be awake at this point. These are unnotable average workers in unnotable average circumstances carrying their own difficulties. And they are people who remain nameless in this passage as they may very well have been to many. And in the midst of all of this, in the midst of all these details, in the midst of the grit, the grind, the drudgery, a baby is born. So what changes? What changes for Mary and Joseph? They are still peasants having to navigate the obstacles of the empire. At some point, they have to trek back home, and now with a baby... What changes for the shepherds who will have to return to the fields and with everything that comes with it, maybe sleeping outdoors with the sheep under their care. On the surface, it doesn't look like much changes. And yet, we know that that's not the case. Everything changes. Everything changes. This is no ordinary birth, of course. The angels have shown up to the shepherds to tell us the very same. They have shown up. And them, along with the heavenly chorus, they tell us that this baby being born is no less than the reality of heaven entering life on earth, entering the grit and the grind and the drudgery of all that comes with life on earth and meeting us in the very same with all of the difficulties and the emotions and the burdens that come with it. This is not just an ordinary child. And while it seems like on the surface nothing has changed, the angels tell the shepherds that this baby, of course, is the Messiah, the ruler of God's kingdom, the savior of the world who will save us and his world from all that is wrong in it. This, and this, of course, is good news for all the people, as they say. This announcement is made to these nameless shepherds who get a front row seat to this turning point in cosmic history. The Messiah, 
The Lord, the Savior of the world, has been born, and He is for all who would come to Him. The passage opens with a decree from the emperor. But if you noticed, he's not there. He's not there when the child is born. He does not get an announcement. He doesn't get an invitation. Even though, at the time, inscriptions to him would declare the emperor Caesar Augustus to be a savior, they would declare his reign to be good news, using the very, the very word gospel to describe it. Inscriptions would declare that he had brought an end to war, but he's not invited. Nor do these descriptors actually apply to him. The angels tell the very common and the otherwise unnoticed shepherds of the one whose birth is truly good news. The actual good news. And good news not just for the elite or the powerful. Good news not for the empire or the emperor. But good news for all the people. His is a peace that is not simply the absence of conflict. His is a peace that does not... not come from subjugation. His is a holistic peace, seeking the well-being of all people and all creation. His is the peace of the kingdom of God that is making everything right for all who would turn to God and receive his favor, just as the angels declare. His His reality is the reality of heaven breaking into our world, jumping right into the middle of our lives with all that comes with them. And in doing so, giving us hope today of knowing Jesus and his heavenly reality, which now and into the life to come. And all of that begins here. All that begins with him being born in the midst of this scene in our passage. And he brings his heavenly reality there. And it spreads throughout the ages and it continues to spread today. And we who live life with him, we who follow him, do so with the hope of knowing that one day he will complete the work when he returns. And so not only is he making all things right, but we get to be part of it. And this is why scripture calls him the light of the world. Because he brings the illumination of God's truth, God's reality, God's peace, to our world that so desperately needs it. And we who follow him get to carry his light into the world, making it more the way that he would have it be. And that's what we remind ourselves of tonight. As we will close by singing by candlelight, reminding ourselves of the presence of the Lord among us. That is what the Christ candle does reminding us of the presence of the Lord Jesus Christ, God in the flesh, Emmanuel.
of being with us in our realities, in whatever season or circumstances we are in. And, and as the flame spreads from candle to candle, we remind ourselves that we carry his light into all of the places that he has called us to and entrusted to us so that his world can know its light too. And so we'll, we'll close now by candlelight. And I will light the candle from the Christ candle, and then we'll light the candles at the edge of the row, and then I invite you to spread the flame to the candle next to you. And as you do, just a technical note to take the unlit candle and put it over the lit one so you don't spill hot wax on yourself.